Happy New Year. Welcome to, uh, to 2023. So funny to say that. Yeah, I, I grew up in the, you know, the 80s and the 90s, but to think about the year 2023, like I just pictured science fiction would be taking place right now, you know, like the Jetsons and the flying cars and all of that. But crazy to think we made it to 2023. How many of you, I'm curious, made a New Year's resolution this year? Okay, like five of you, so you just wrecked my whole first illustration about to make. So, just for that, I'm going to tack 15 minutes on the end of the sermon, okay? Just for that. But no, we make a lot of resolutions this time of the year, whether we actually verbalize them and write them down, or we just kind of think, I want to try to do this this year. And usually it's either I'm going to stop a bad habit or I'm going to start a good habit. It's usually one of those two categories. And a lot of this, for example, especially if you uh, make church a part of your life, you've been following God for a while, you think, I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to read it every day this year. And maybe it's, you know, just read it every day, or maybe it's a, I'm going to read it all the way through every uh, this year. Maybe that's your goal. Uh, I saw this posted this week on the Babylon Bee, and it's really hit home. This local man sets the realistic goal of reading the Bible until he gets to Leviticus. And I'm like, man, I, I feel attacked by that, you know? Like, <laughs> because if you've ever tried to set out and, and read it and you're not familiar with it, Genesis, great story. Exodus, great story. Then comes Leviticus. And it's been all of these laws and all of these rules. And that's typically where, you know, a lot of those plans tend to stop. Oh, for me, I don't typically set a lot of resolutions. I'm not a big resolution guy. But typically when the new year starts, I just hit the reset button. Because it's like, okay, nothing's changed. It's still the same, whether it's the calendar's changed or not. But for me, at the very least, I, uh, you know, want to start reprioritizing what I know is important. And, and you know, it's the things that I, I know I should be doing on a regular basis, uh, you know, in terms of walking with Christ or being a husband or being a father or whatever it may be. But I'm really good at, at just letting life get in the way of those things sometimes. You know, and as the year goes on and busyness sets in and, and whether it's sickness or kids sick or just those times of the year where you hardly even see your own family. You know, sometimes life gets in the way and knocks us off of what we know we're supposed to be doing. New Year's for me is a chance to just hit the reset button. And I think sometimes as a church, we can kind of fall into that same trap. Like we start a year off with all these ideas and, and, and this great plan of what we want to try to do. And as the year goes on, we just kind of lose sight of what we're headed towards. We kind of get off focus just a little bit. 23, I want us to get back on focus because 2023 is a big year for us here at Crossroads. It's a big year for me personally. It's a big year for all of you because not only are we facing the same challenges that we typically always face, but if you're unfamiliar with the church here, 23 is, is kind of a big time year for us here because for the first time in the history of this church, we're going to have a transition in leadership. And, of course, that brings big challenges for me and for the rest of the staff and for, for Brad and for the elders. But it also brings big challenges for all of us collectively. Challenges that we don't even know are out there yet, that are going to come our way sometime down the road. And, and, and for me, as we head into this year, I, I kind of just file that away because I want to start this year off by just spending some time focusing as, as, as who we are as a church. And focusing on what we do at the church and why we do it. So from now to Easter, we're going to do three different teaching series, and all of them are going to focus on that very idea. If you're a member of Crossroads or a regular here and you have been for a long time, I hope that over the next several weeks what we're doing just reemphasizes and reiterates 
who we are, what we do, and why we do it. And also it lets us start to look forward into the future at where God's going to take us next. If you're new here, and I know there's some visitors here today, if you're online watching for the first time, or if you've only been coming for a short period of time, my hope is that over these next several weeks you'll come back and check us out more because you're going to get a really good idea of who we are exactly as a church and where we're headed, where I believe that God is taking us. Today we're going to start off the first of these series, and it's a series simply called Back to the Basics. And for the next three weeks we're going to look at three very specific elements of what we do when we gather on a Sunday. Now, I'll just say, these are not a comprehensive list. Okay, like these are not the only three things that we do when we come together on a Sunday. And you may say, well, what about this or what about that? There's a chance we'll actually cover that down the road in a few weeks. But we're going to focus on three very specific elements of what we do when we gather. And maybe you're, you're coming and you're saying, well, why do they do this this way? Or why do they, my church I used to go to, we didn't do it that way. Why do they do it here? Hopefully, we'll explain why just a little bit. At Crossroads, we've got a mission that has been in existence ever since Brad started the church. And it simply says we exist to bring people to Jesus Christ and assist them in becoming as fully devoted and reproducing followers. Kind of simply put, our goal is to make disciples who will make disciples. And that's kind of a common mission across churches all across the world. Because we all kind of creatively reword the Great Commission. Jesus, just before he goes back to heaven, in Matthew 28, tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so as churches, what we do is we take this and we just creatively reword it a little bit and we put it on our bulletins or we put it in our, our offices, we put it maybe out on the walls of the church so everybody can see that so they can know what we're all about. But really, we're just doing what Jesus told us to do. We're trying to go out and to make disciples. And as a church, yes, that's our mission. That's our goal and our focus. But sometimes I think to understand what that really means and why it's important, we actually have to take a step back and look at what it means to be a church to begin with. Jesus, uh, sometime earlier, was with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. In Matthew 16, he tells them, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. He tells this to a man named Peter, who is a disciple, he's a well-known disciple. But I think it's interesting that he says he'll build his church. He says, I'll build my church. Because often we look at the church and we, we personalize it. And we, we put a possessive pronoun on it. This is my church. This is your church. This is our church. We use those phrases and that's fine. I say that all the time. This is my church. People say, are you at Crossroads? Yeah, that's my church. Or maybe if you've attended another church, you've said, yeah, that's my church, or that's my parents' church, or that's my family's church, or this is our church. That's all well and good, but we need to kind of remember something very specific. This is not my church, it's not your church, it's not our church. This is Jesus' church. It's his church that he started. We get to put a name on the sign out front, and we get to operate the way we best think that we're operating, how he called us to do so. But this ultimately is Jesus' church. Any church, I'm convinced, that's preaching the gospel message in, in the correct way, that's leading people to Christ, that's baptizing them, is Jesus' church. And because it's his church, we need to remember a few very important details about that church. Yes, he just gave that statement to Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. Peter starts the church sometime later. A couple years later in Acts chapter 2, he starts the church. He goes on to help grow the church with the disciples. And then later on, Peter writes a couple of letters. They're in the back of our New Testament. 
And in one of those, he tells the church, you are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's quite the statement to say to us, to you all. Because look at what he says. He has four descriptions in there. He says, you're a chosen people. I picked you out of all the crowd, God says. He calls us a royal priesthood. That's a double meaning right there. So it kind of describes Jesus. Royal bloodline, but also ordained to do the work of God. He says that we're a holy nation. We're set apart. We're not supposed to be like the rest of the world. We're supposed to stand out against the world, and we're God's special possession. Some of you own many things, but you know how it works. There are some things that you might might have a little bit stronger tie to than others. My kids have possessions, but each of them has something that means more to them than others. Titus especially has got every toy imaginable, but he has this stuffed bear that he actually got before he was born that my stepmom bought him. And that bear goes everywhere. He's probably You guys have probably seen it. You probably picked it up on the foyer out here once upon a time. It's missing its bow tie. It's missing an eyeball. Its tail's falling off. Half the stuffing is gone. Bear has seen better days. But that's his special possession. No matter what he gets, Bear is the one he sleeps with every night. And that's what Peter says we are to God. The church is to God. And he says that we have one purpose to declare the praises of Jesus because he called us out of darkness and into light. Think about this, folks. Yes, this is Jesus' church, but more specifically, we are Jesus' church. We are God's church. Paul tells us that we are his temple and the Spirit dwells in his midst. So think about this for a second. We are all of those things, the chosen people, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's temple, and he dwells within our midst. Do you ever stop and think about this? That the, the God of all creation, the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who can continue to speak miracles into existence, he doesn't actually need anything from us. And yet he invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. I, I know for me, that is humbling. As a pastor, as, as a student of the Bible, that is humbling for me to stop and think about it. Because the church is not just something we come to on a Sunday morning. It's not just something that we are a part of. It's who we are. It's who we are as God's people. And that's being sent out to reach the world. As leaders, often we... We sit and spend a lot of our time, whether that's during staff meetings or our individual time as we're trying to plan things or it's in an elders meeting. We spend a lot of time trying to plan what's best for the church, what we think is best for the church. When we're planning out, whether that's the calendar or planning out strategies or planning out teaching series or whatever it may be, or an elders meeting when we're talking bigger picture stuff all across the board. We think about this. And I know for me, often I'm trying to get creative, and I'm not always the most creative person, so I really work on trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do with this church? You called me here to, to be a leader at this church. What do you want me to do with it? And, and often, I'll just be honest, there's times I catch myself trying to outsmart myself with God. And that doesn't usually end very well. <laughs> because often I'm just simply reminded, Kurt, I've already told you what to do. And I'm drawn back to two verses in the Bible that I've known by, by heart for years. One found in Acts chapter 2, when it says that the very first church that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. And the other seven, Hebrews chapter 10, 
when it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another until the day arrives. Those two verses, those two, those two passages, right there in a nutshell, tell us exactly what we should be doing as a church and how we should be following what is laid out in front of us. Eight traits are listed in those two passages. Just, just briefly, it says, number one, don't give up meeting together. Meet together. Many of you, you come to church every Sunday or as close to it as you can. Can I challenge you, if, if you're one that you're kind of hit or miss, can you make coming here a commitment this year? And if you want a, a more short-term goal, be here until Easter. Okay? That's only about 13 weeks away. That's manageable. Make this a priority. Be here. This is that they're devoted to truthful teaching. That, for me, is something I very much put into my heart because this is what I get to do every week. Is I'm humbled and I'm honored to get to stand up here and preach and teach to you all. But I can just tell you this. I will never, ever claim to be the utmost expert on the Bible. I will never claim to have the Bible completely figured out. I know there are times I'm going to get up here and I'm going to preach a dud. And I don't just mean that, like, you're like, man, that was kind of boring today. Like, I'm just going to miss. It happens. I'm flawed. But I can tell you this, to the absolute best of the ability that God has given me, the best of, of the gifts that God has given me and the knowledge He's given me, every time I preach to you, I can promise you, it's what I sincerely believe to be the truth of Scripture. Not twisted to how I want it to be, not twisted to how you want it to be, but how the truth of Scripture reads, whether we like it or not. And there will be some weeks, I'll tell you, I don't really like this passage of the Bible. I wish I could erase this part, because it's not very fun to read and put into life. But it's what God's called us to do anyway. He tells us to have fellowship and to share meals together. Those can kind of go together. And actually, Wednesday night this week, we're doing prime time. It's, yeah, we're talking the budget. We're talking finance. But we're going to do a chili and soup cook-off. I mean, come on. That sounds like fun to me, right? And it's a competition, so we have a little camaraderie with it. Usually somebody's trying to pour stuff in somebody else's pot to mess it up and, and sabotage things. Yeah, there's some games. It's cutthroat. We all want to pick where that money goes, you know, that we don't actually get ourselves. We pick where it gets to go, right? We pray together. We're going to talk about that more here in a minute. We love one another. We serve one another. We're going to talk about those more in depth here in a few weeks, and we encourage one another. That's what we should be doing as a church. Use your words to build people up or to tear people down. Because we have the option every time we open our mouths, of doing one of the two things. It's important to remember that these traits don't exist just for our personal benefit, just for our personal walks with Christ. They exist so that we can make an impact in the kingdom. So that as a church, we can grow to become more like what Christ has called us to become. And again, over the next few months, we're going to look at several of these in detail, and we're going to look at several things that we need to be putting into practice on a regular basis. But today we're going to dive in, and we're specifically going to talk about prayer. Prayer is something that you, if you I mean, you've been here already this morning, you've already heard us pray. And if you come to church at all, you hear people pray. And maybe you just see people pray, or maybe you don't know how to pray. Maybe you pray all the time, or you're somewhere in between there. Let me just say, prayer is one of those things that is probably the easiest thing to do, and also maybe one of the hardest things to do. Because if you're a new Christian, if you're a visitor, if you're just joining us for the first time today, and you don't know anything about this, prayer can be awkward, and it can be difficult. I mean, sometimes conversations with each, with each other are awkward. 
And I'm pretty much the king of that. If you've had a conversation with me, there's a very good chance it's gotten awkward very quickly. And I can tell you this, if I'm talking to you one-on-one, I really hope you're the kind of person that can lead and steer a conversation. Because if what we're talking about fizzles, we're probably done by my standpoint. Because I can't come up with another topic. Okay? So if you can't come up with one, I'm probably just going to look at you for about five or six seconds, pretend I got a phone call, and walk off. Don't take it personally. That's <laughs> kind of how I operate, right? God didn't wire me quite in the conversation starting business. So if you see me out here and I'm not coming to talk to you, it's not because I don't want to. It's because, like, what am I going to say? Am I just going to walk up and be like, so what kind of car do you drive? You know, I mean, I don't know. I'm just not very good at that sometimes. I'm one of those that, that uh, <laughs> you know, when you're leaving the store, and they're like, well, let me paper or plastic. I'm like, you too. You know, it's like, I don't know what to say. I just, it happens that way sometimes. Now, praying can be difficult because when we have a conversation with one another, we can kind of anticipate what the other person might say in return. We can read facial expressions. You know, you, you pick up on all that nonverbal communication. It doesn't exist in prayer because you're not seeing God's face look back at you. And maybe that's a good thing. Because sometimes we might pray for things and God's face would be like, really? Really? But we don't know what God's thinking as we talk. We don't hear him talk back to us. We can't see him or feel him. He doesn't appeal to our senses. But here's the thing. We need to learn to do it anyway. Because communication is is key to any healthy relationship. It's a, a key facet. If you don't believe me, husbands, I want you to try something today. When you go home, as soon as you leave here, don't talk to your wife for a week. Okay? Just hear me out. Unless you desperately need something or all else has failed. Then you can talk to your wife. Otherwise, don't talk to your wife. If you're still conscious or alive next week, I want to know how it went. Okay? How's the relationship going? Okay? Ladies, if you're upset by this, I'll give you Brad Fogo's cell phone number, and you can let him know your your, your frustration with this, okay? You can let him know all of this, right? But no, we're called to pray, to build a relationship with our Father. And you may say, well, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to open my mouth and make the right words come out. The good news is Jesus gave us a a pattern. He gave us an example to follow. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us, first off, When you pray, don't be like the people who are praying for show, that are using big words and using polished talk. No, just pray with sincerity out of your heart. And he says, this is how you should do it then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm sure many of you have got this memorized. Or maybe you've got to memorize from the King James Version. That's how I memorized it as a kid in church growing up. And this is a prayer that I don't even know how many times I've prayed over the course of my life. Often, probably for the vast majority of the time I've prayed it, has been with a group of people. And it was always funny to me when I was back in high school, like right before a soccer game or a football game, we would, as a team, like huddle up and kneel down and we would pray the Lord's Prayer together. And it was so ironic and hilarious because it was usually right after a string of four-letter words from our coaches. You know, about what we were about to go do to this team. Okay, let's pray. Like, this is, this is weird. <laughs> and then, okay, now let's go do all that stuff I just told you to go do. And we charge up the door, right? 
or we pray together in community. Because again, it's one that a lot of people really know. This is a prayer that if you pray, you've got to be careful with. Because if we just recite it, it's somewhat not much different than quoting the office or quoting Shakespeare or you know, singing song lyrics. You've got to stop and think through every word of this. This is not a bad prayer to pray in your daily life. And whether you do it verbatim or you kind of do a variation of it, it's fine so long as you personalize it and you pray through every single word as if you're saying that directly to God. For, for me, I'll just share this with you. For me, if I pray this prayer, I specifically focus on five words out of it. Because when I do, I feel like it helps me understand a little bit more the personal nature of talking to God. I focus on five words. The first is the word Father. I, I highlight the word Father because the word Father reminds me of the relationship between God and me. It, it reminds me that, that He's the Father, I'm not in this particular mind. I, I am a dad, I've got three kids. And they just call me dad. I'm not daddy. I'm not anything else. I'm just dad. Unless my oldest really needs something. Then she'll come up and she'll go, excuse me, father, can I have a moment of your time? I'm like, you're 10 years old. Who are you? But it's like she's trying to be a little bit more formal. Butter me up just a little bit. She asked me the other day. We, we stopped and got him a shaved ice on the way home. And she asked, she says, are you and mom trying to butter me up? I said, that's not how the parent-child relationship works. We don't butter you up. You butter us up. Addressing God as Father helps you remember the relationship. And if you had a good relationship with your earthly father, maybe this is easier. If you didn't, this might be hard. But I always tell people, if they say, well, I, don't, I didn't even know my dad. Or my dad was a jerk. I didn't want anything to do with him. I say, then try to imagine God being the father you wish your dad was. Being the father you wished you could have had. That's God and then some. We address him as father because it acknowledges our position before him. The second word is the word kingdom. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. I think this is powerful because when we say the word kingdom, it reminds us not of who we're talking to, but where we're talking to. I like to think about it like this. Before I put any label on myself... Husband, father, pastor, Christian, son, brother, Oklahoman, American, whatever. I am a member and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that for me will always take priority and precedence over any other label, over any other affiliation. As a kingdom that is not of this world. So when I come to God, I am entering into that kingdom. And therefore, I'm leaving my personal agendas aside. Don't pray taking your personal agenda to God saying, God, make this work. Because that's not how God operates. We had a whole series last summer on finding God's will and aligning yourself with what he has for you. So remember, you're praying to a father who is a king of a kingdom. The third word I pray is the word give. Now, this is the one that gets kind of tricky because some people wait for the give part till the end. It's in the middle of this prayer. And specifically, it says, give us our daily bread. This is a a tie back to the Old Testament. When they're getting manna from heaven, it was enough to sustain them. It wasn't necessarily, you know, like I'd say, you know, God, give me all-you-can-eat ribs and burn ends or something. That's probably what I'd pick, you know, if I can get whatever I wanted. No, it's my daily bread. It's what I need to sustain me throughout today to get me to tomorrow. And then he'll give it to me again tomorrow. And then the next day. And I'll be honest, this one is hard for me to pray. Because I'm not always content with what I have. 
I like stuff. I like things. I like acquiring things. So I have to remind myself, no, God, just give me what I need. Give me what I need. And don't let me get distracted by the other stuff. Don't let me worry about the other stuff because this reminds me that without him, I'm lost. Because no matter what I can try to do on my own, it's not going to sustain me. It's not going to fulfill me. The fourth word is the word forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Think about this one because, let me call it like it is. You may not realize this. You may not like this. Every one of us in this room is a sinner that has fallen short of God's glory and will continue to fall short of God's glory because we're not capable of not falling short of God's glory. But we're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, not through anything that we can do. There's no amount of money that you can spend, no amount of time that you can give, no amount of good things that you can do to earn your salvation. It's only by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus and our faith in that. And when you ask God to forgive you of the sins you've committed, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you. And so for me, that's something that I, I want to say every time that I pray. Even though, yes, he's forgiven me, I still need it again. Because guess what? I still mess up. I still sin. I still bring that junk into my heart and into my life. So God, forgive me. Forgive me. And allow me to forgive those who have sinned against me, who have hurt me. That's maybe the hardest one to do. Because that's important. That'll hold on to us. That'll keep us from being able to go to God when we're holding on to sin and letting it hold on to us. The fifth word that I focus on is the word deliver. It kind of goes along with that. But it says deliver us from the evil one. And specifically it ties right there with and lead us not into temptation. It's like God deliver me from the sins. Deliver me from the bondage of sin. But also lead me in the direction you want me to go. Not necessarily where I want to go, but where you want to take me. What you have in store for me. I may not understand it. I may not necessarily like it. But God, lead me in that direction because that's what you created me for. And show me step by step where I'm going. I don't have to know the whole picture. But God, just light up that next step for me as I take it. That's a model of how we can pray. Does it mean, mean you have to pray that way? Absolutely not. You pray, pray in sincerity, and you can find many good models out there if you need help learning how. But prayer is vital to what we do. It's important to us on our individual walks with God. And I would encourage you, if you don't pray on a daily basis, start making that a habit this year. I don't care when you do it. First thing in the morning, last thing before bed, randomly throughout the day. Uh, it doesn't say when exactly we have to do that. Often I do it before I go to bed. doesn't mean that's the best time. Some people like to get up and spend time in prayer in the morning. Whenever you can find time with God, pray. Pray to Him because it's an important part of your individual walk with God. But in addition to individual prayer, we need to learn to pray together. Here's the truth. Praying together is powerful. Praying individually is important, but praying together is powerful. We pray together when we come together. Whether that's in a big setting like this or in a small group or maybe just having dinner with somebody. Maybe that's, uh, you know, as a service team or whatever it may be. We pray together because it's powerful. And specifically, praying together does several things. I've highlighted three just for the sake of time. I could have probably rattled off a dozen today. But three things that praying together does. The first thing it does is praying together encourages. 
It encourages. Life is, is hard. It's difficult. I mean, you don't need me to tell you this. As long as we're on this side of heaven, walking this earth, we're going to face things like sickness and death and sin and brokenness and loneliness. They're, those things are inevitable. They're a part of our world. And as long as we have those, there are times, no matter how long you've walked with God, if this is your first day in church or you've been here for decades, you understand that there's times we're questioning the goodness and sovereignty of God because the world around us is chaotic and collapsing. But prayer and praying together with one another can be encouraging in those times. There have been times where I open my mouth and I'm unable to even pray. But somebody around me can And it lifts me in in the midst of all of that. It also encourages us to learn how to pray. To learn how to pray with one another. And and to observe and to watch and to learn when to pray. To learn how to pray all the way across. Praying together encourages. It also disciples. We can learn from one another by watching each other pray. I was... I grew up in a church where when we prayed as a, as a church, everybody prayed out loud. It wasn't just the person on the stage. It was everybody across the room if they wanted to would pray out loud. And most people did. And there were some loud voices, some that weren't loud, <clears throat> some big voices, some that weren't real big. But I would watch the men in my church that I admired, whether that was a grandpa, for example, or some of my family members, or just some of the, the men who were teachers or leaders with us kids in the church. I would watch them pray and listen to them pray. And it taught me how to do it. And it moved me beyond just simply asking God for what I wanted. And instead it taught me how to pray for things like, God, let my heart chase after yours. God, let me become more like you. Let me not conform to the world. Let me conform to become like you. And let me tell you, it's powerful. Because yes, praying for things, that's important. That's a valuable thing. Because we need those. And God cares about our needs. But often as you move from a less mature to a more mature believer, learning how to pray that Christ would shape your heart after his is one of the most important things that we can pray. The third thing that praying together does is it brings unity. It brings unity. It's nearly impossible to hold a grudge against somebody when you're praying with them. I say nearly impossible because you can do it if you try hard enough. I've done it a couple of times. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying you can do it if you really want to. I really wanted to in that particular spot. It wasn't a healthy spot to be in for me. If you're earnestly praying with somebody and worshiping with that person, you understand what Jesus mentioned when he said that before you come to me, if you've got something against your brother or against your sister, you go fix it. You go take care of it with that person directly. Then you can come to me. Then you can come to me. Prayer brings unity. It breaks down barriers when we pray together. Sometimes right in front of our very eyes. Uh, you've no doubt by now seen or heard the story about DeMar Hamlin, the defensive back for the Buffalo Bills. Last week on Monday Night Football, he uh, makes this tackle against the Cincinnati Bengals. Got up. Took part of a step and collapsed. And they quickly went to commercial, um, but then when they came back, they weren't showing anything on the field. As a sports fan, you know what that means. That something bad has happened, and they're respecting the player's privacy, they're not going to zoom in. 
But over the course of time, between the studio announcers and the broadcast crew, we, we learned that they were actually doing CPR on him on the field. And, and as they did CPR on him on the field, they, they did chest compressions for over nine minutes. If you work in the medical field, you should know what that means. And in fact, my wife wasn't home during the game. She got home a little bit later. When I told her what happened, she just went, that is bad. He's not going to make it. And if he does, he's not going to be the same person. He's going to have all sorts of, of, of issues. But as they carted him off the field in the ambulance, they took him to the University of Cincinnati Hospital. Both teams kneeled together on the field to pray. Fans in the, the stands were, were flipping their signs over whatever they had on their signs and grabbing Sharpies and just very crudely, quickly writing, pray for DeMar. And even if they took him to the hospital, the game got canceled and, and uh, nobody really still knew what was going on. But even the broadcast crew are, are saying, Let's, you know, hey, we're praying for this guy. You know, on ESPN this week, on the live broadcast, one of their broadcasters broke out in prayer. But fans of both teams, strangers, don't even know each other, wearing opposite colors, hand in hand, arm in arm, praying together. All across social media, you saw athletes, whether it's football, basketball, baseball players, maybe a celebrity, if it was just people like you and me, posting, pray for DeMar. This, this image went up on scoreboards of every football stadium across America. And on every NFL team's Twitter page, they changed from their own team logo to this, this week. And it just blew me away because a world that wants nothing to do with God, that's pushing God further and further away from them, that cares nothing about the power of prayer, was united at least for one moment in prayer. And nothing else mattered. There were no racial divides. There were no political divides. There were no divides of any kind. It was just, hey, this guy that we haven't even heard of three hours ago, this 24-year-old who just collapsed and was basically dead on the field, let's pray for him. Blew me away. Because again, nine minutes of chest compressions. The AEDs on his chest to shock his heart to start beating again. He woke up Thursday. Still had the tube down his throat. But he woke up Thursday and was able to respond to basic commands. And they asked him if he wanted to say anything, and he got a pen, and he actually wrote down, who won the game? That's quite the first thing to say. By yesterday, his breathing tube has been removed. Doctors said there seems to be no neurological issue. He said he's neurologically intact. Yesterday morning, he was able to FaceTime with his teammates in Buffalo and tell them, good luck, as they go into their last game this afternoon. And yes, all credit due to the, the medical personnel who recognized the situation and took, took care of him. But folks, you don't lay there without a heartbeat for nine minutes and later walk away from that. The power of praying together took a young man that, again, none of us had even, even further, sports fans had never heard of this guy. And forget the sports aspect, forget the football aspect. This is a 24-year-old young man whose heart stopped beating. That doesn't happen. And the power of praying together and focusing on that and that only. Can you imagine, as a church, if we just prayed together every week? 
And we just prayed that God would enter into our midst and rattle and shake the foundations of our world and rattle and shake this entire metropolitan area to become a hotbed for revival to spread across our world. Can you just imagine that? I mean, typically when I come in on a Sunday morning, we, we, we always meet as pastors right over here in this room at 7.30 before our services start. Just going over the flow of service. Any questions we might have. One of us always prays. Ben always asks one of us to. When it's me, I, I tend to pray for the same thing. I pray first off, God, let me get out of your way today. And whether I'm praying with the whole team or just by myself back here in the green room, God, let me get out of your way. I don't want this sermon to be about Kurt. I don't want these words to be mine. I want it to be you. And you be glorified. And I pray that for the rest of our staff, too. We're playing a role. We're grateful to play. Let it be about you. I pray, number two, God, be in our midst. You're welcome here. Not that he needs my permission. But I want to make sure that I'm at least saying out loud, I want him in the midst of all this. I pray, number three, that hearts would be touched. Not because of the power of my words or the power of the music or any of that. But some of us come in here with hard hearts. That nothing I can say or do might change that, but just a touch from God might soften it just enough. Just enough to let something seep in. And I pray that collectively we'd be forgiven. And I pray that you do that too. Here in a moment we're going to take communion. We're going to come to his table and remember what he did on the cross that did forgive us. And next week we're going to talk about that whole topic next week. But I pray in that moment, God, let me come to you with a pure heart. Let us come to you with a pure heart so that you'll welcome us. But can you imagine if we prayed together, God, your will be done in this world, in this community, in this church. We, we pray together on Sunday mornings. And I told you earlier, I grew up in the church where we all pray verbally out loud. And it was, it's, it's kind of funny, it's just kind of the, the Christian church thing to do, because the first time I went to one with my parents, or my mom and my stepdad, I went in and they said, okay, we're going to pray now. It was silent. Like, did somebody die? Like, what, what happened? <laughs> it's weird. They're all praying internally. And that was, I, just, I wasn't used to that. I was used to a church where when they said, let's pray, everybody's praying out loud. And there's benefits both ways. But can I... I encourage you with something? We pray, whether that's me or Brad, it's Ben, Tracy, whoever's standing here, join us. You don't have to sit there quietly. Join us. Pray with us. If you're in a small group, pray out loud together. If, if you're meeting with somebody, pray out loud together. There's power in that. There's power when we do that. Because often what happens when I pray and you don't, you're just listening. That's fine. It's fine, but let me tell you, there's nothing special about my prayers. Nothing more special than there is about yours. Because I'm just like the rest of you all when I pray. So join me. Because God told us, Jesus told us, that when two or three gather together, there he is with us. And he enters into us and that power will be seen. So here's your challenge today. And I've already told it to you, I'll tell it to you again. Don't just listen to us pray, but join in with us when we pray. Pray aloud with us. 
And today we're going to do something just a little bit different as we, we wrap up. I've done this before, but given the, the nature of what we talked about today, I'm going to invite you to stand and pray with me today as we wrap up. And I'll give you a cheat sheet today, because we'll pray the same prayer today. So would you, would you stand with me? And would you join me as we pray this? And I know some of you have this, this memorized. And if you have it memorized from a different version than what's on the screen, by all means say that. But join me as we pray this prayer today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we are so grateful that you hear us. We're grateful that you hear us when we call your name. God, I pray today for everybody in this room, Lord. They would be reminded it doesn't matter how powerful or eloquent or big their words are. But God, you hear them all the same. So God, teach us to pray with sincerity, individually and also collectively, God, that you would be in our midst and that we would all grow because of it to become stronger as your church. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you didn't grab a cup for communion, you can grab one on the side, the corner, or the back of the room on those black tables. As we step into communion this morning, I'm not going to say a lot about it. Honestly, that's next week's entire sermon. But this is where we remember that sacrifice that was made so that we could ask him to forgive us of our sins and be redeemed and reconciled back to him. So my prayer as we take communion every time is that we would remember God and honor him as we take this in his name. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for this bread, for this cup. I ask that you would be with us as we honor you in Jesus' name.